Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that will never celebrate a draw. This week on Heart and Hand, yeah, we're lying bastards, of course we are. Welcome to Heart and Hand Rangers Podcast, my name is David Edgar, I'm your host and I'm joined this week by Mr Scott Van Den Acker. Hello, good evening, welcome. Is Barry Norman still alive? I would imagine he's not. Well, because if he is, he could probably sue you for that. I think that any resemblance to anyone living or dead is entirely coincidental. Yeah, that, that reminds me, we're going to have to get around to, to writing... <laughs> a sort of, you know, like a, a set of small print that, that exempts yeah. us from being sued for a lot of things, for a lot of things. But the listeners, although normally, Scott, they tune in for this happy-go-lucky, witty, back-and-forth banter between you and I, this week they aren't tuning in for that. No, They're, no. no. <laughs> Are you sure? You should get a rolling river city, because that level of acting is just, you, no, Seriously? What business do you mean, David? I'll tell you something, Scott. <laughs> oh, God, that, that fucking accent. See that, like, Ouija Ned actor trying to speak English in a way that English people all understand the accent? Yes. It's actually in the, the the Force Awakens, the Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you something, Solo. And you're like, oh, God, and everyone in the... In the cinema in Scotland, their balls just collectively shrunk and like, oh God, not our own accent on yeah. TV. But uh, no, we want to talk about the event uh, this week at Parkhead, where Rangers went without being given an awful lot of a chance, I think, including, you know, by us. And uh, in the end, after um, probably their best, certainly their hardest work, I think their, their grittiest performance of the season, the managed to dig out a, a rather creditable 1-1 draw. They did, yes. Um, I was exempt, thankfully, from criticism for missing the last couple of pods. However... So I, did, so I didn't get to see we'd get pumped at Parkhead. However, yeah. you, you were there the last time. Mm-hmm. You weren't there this time. I know what you're going to say. It's your fault. This is the same as your lucky jacket, isn't it? Back it's, up, in the 90s. it's up there. Had you not gone to the opening fixture this season, I yeah. think there is a scientifically proven argument that I've just demonstrated that Rangers would probably have won. And Mark Warburton would still be in a job and Joey Barton would be like the player's player of the year. That's the alternative universe that your selfishness denied us. It's like sliding doors only... A bit shitter, isn't it? Yeah, only with with kind of less people I would pump. Although I was actually thinking about this, and I, I want I'm going to start a movement, Scott. Right. I would like to lick Clint Hill. Any specific part of Clint Hill doesn't matter. 
but I would like to lick him and I don't think I'm alone and therefore I want to say to everyone out there are you a Clint licker? And <laughs> if so, I want you to let the podcast know using the hashtag hashtag Clint Licker. Yes, and you won't get arrested for it. Be very I... careful how you type that or you may get rather than a lot of manly blokes telling you how much they love the gels. Certain other yeah. things. Other things make them up. It's not a silent N. No, no, no. But, well, so, but yeah. For me personally, I think I've already pledged myself to Brian Loudrop, and so I can give myself to another. But I, I do get where you're coming from. There's something ruggedly manly about him. It's, I don't know, the way he scored the goal, the way he celebrated, there's something very Clint Hilly about it all, isn't there? I think it's a wonderful expression of the difference between Rangers and a lot of other clubs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain that. We love talented, silky footballers. We, of course we do. Everybody does. Who doesn't, right? And we love guys that score lots of goals. You know, we love our Ali McCoys. We love wingers like Brian Loudrop, Davy Cooper. But there's something special to Rangers supporters of any vintage of any age about a big, tough, take-no-shit centre-half, inspirational, captain-in-the-trenches type. Especially bloodied. Yes, especially yeah. bloody, Especially... Older and you know, kind of had a face that looks as though it's been smashed in a few times. Rangers fans me... love that. We we love that, and I think it's to do with this when you're growing up in Scotland and you get fed this bullshit about you know the Celtic way and this kind of mythology about the way they play football. Uh, that it's all this wonderful free flowing attacking shite that would be you know those of us who grew up in an era saying players like you know Darius Dubček and Gary Gillespie always wondered maybe where that came from but. It, with us, it's always as if we're just this sort of wall of muscle who sort of deflect the ball towards the opposition goal. And I think in a way that, because we know it's bullshit, we've had so many skillful players over the year, but we do like that physical, you know, a guy that will go out there and go, are you lot starting any shit? If so, I'm going to finish it. And Big Clint can do that. I think um, we'll probably come on to this later when we're going to be talking about Pedro Cachinho. But... Uh... The favorite, my favorite, it's like why most people's favorite old firm goal, certainly mine, is John Brown at Parkhead. Like John Brown scores the goal from twenty-five yards, vaults the hoardings. He's in amongst the fans, and you mm. think, a, he's one of us. B, he's pug ugly, and thirdly, he's rock hard. And fourthly, all the Celtic one-two tippy tappy just broke against the dam that was Bomber Brown. Yeah, and it encapsulates everything when he scored that. 25 yards at Parkhead that's the kind of thing we're talking about yeah. that's that's what Rangers fans love you need to sweat I know every club says this but literally we do have a very working class sort of shipyard support and we're, we've always been suspicious of people who won't do the work no Just, we, we don't like the kind of Mr Humphreys types do we we don't like Mr Humphreys types no we the, the frippery that, that sort of goes along we, we can tolerate prettiness if it's really pretty right you know when Harry Forrester's playing well. But there's still, no matter how shiny his testicles may be, there's still always a bit of you that goes, oh, for a Richard Goff type that, or a Bomber Brown type or you know, a Graham Sooner. Somebody that's going to come along and boot fuck at you, steal your drink, shag your women, yeah. stomp your enemies into the ground, that type of guy. It's, it's hard to be a Rangers fan these days not to laugh when you think about the prospect of Scott Brown ever facing Graham Souness on a football pitch. I think Scott Brown ever facing Clint Hill in a fight, I find utterly fucking hilarious. Yeah. That one would last about seven seconds, wouldn't it? But, uh, no, to, to, to give an overview of the game, because people um, do, for reasons that I've never quite understood, but they do like a, a tactical breakdown of the game. I thought that we... To be honest, I, for 60 minutes, I thought, and, and you and I texted during the game about this, that it was following a bit of an established pattern, and that I thought we started really well. Mm -hmm. I thought we weren't cowed, uh, and that impressed me, and I was very pleased with the players. But we then missed a very, very good chance through Martin Waghorn. Uh, can I just say, in fairness to Martin, it was the time, at that point in the game, when somebody missed a sitter. Yeah, um, and it was just, and, and it had to be him. Yeah, exactly. It, it has followed a script in, in so many recent big old firm matches, and, and we miss no, no, all recent matches right, against yeah. anyone. We miss our right. setter. The next that obviously 
if you like, almost prompts the the, the Celtic minded in the crowd and the atmosphere to go a little bit. I, I think that they'd been sitting back going, it's going to be seven, it's going to be eight. I don't think they persuaded themselves that, by the way. Yes. They don't beat St Johnston 8 0. They don't beat uh, Motherwell 8 0. And that's amazing because Mark McGee manages, or managed them. Yeah. But they were going to beat us anyway. So. But they did start to come into the game. They started to impose themselves, and the difference being, of course, when they were on top, they took, at least act two. They which t- is act, act two of the the, the cliche. They take the, they score a goal when they're on top, and they then begin to dominate going into half time. And the script, as we all seen it, said we've seen this movie, a fairly even match. Both sides had a spell on top. They've taken their chance. We haven't. They'll come out at the start of the second half. Go for the jugular. And mentally we won't be strong enough to cope with it. And in the opening 15 minutes Celtic did go for the jugular at three. But where it changed slightly is that we actually did have the cojones to go, okay, no, this isn't happening. You guys are not going to score four or five. We're not giving up. And guys who weren't playing particularly well in a technical sense... They dug in, and I want to praise certain players. Now, I'm not going to argue that these guys had magnificent matches or ran the show, but I was impressed with their their courage, their vision, their indefatima whitbread, whatever you want to call it. They really, really dug in and gave all they could, and they started to win 50-50s. They started to win second ball, and I want to pick out Tavernier, who wasn't playing well but really got stuck in. Heinemann, wasn't his type of game, but he never shucked. He got stuck right in. Jason Holt, who, again, you know, technically isn't a great player, but by God, you know, the, the guy gave you absolutely everything he had. Windass, when he came on, I think that, you know, he's, again, didn't maybe do as much creatively, but he was a pair of legs in there and he worked hard when we needed it. Miller, you obviously expect that sort of thing from. Waghorn and the back four in general and I thought that these guys collectively said alright you might beat us but you're not bullying us, it's not happening today and we were aided by I think two substitutions one of ours, one of theirs Rogers, and I want to talk about this in a minute, although I don't normally talk about Celtic but I think this is an interesting point Rogers took off Armstrong which was a bizarre substitution to me because Armstrong was running the game in midfield for Celtic. He was the guy who you need a guy in an old firm game who can, you know, almost stand above the fray a little bit and while the madness is going on, can get on a ball and pick a pass and keep things moving. He was doing that. And he took him off and put on another striker, clearly because they were getting frustrated that they hadn't put us away and we were starting to come back into it. We then put on Windass for Mackay. Mackay had been disappointing. I'm gonna go at him, he was just a bad game. And it gave us extra legs in midfield, as I say. And then we started, as I say, we'd kind of dug in, if you like, we dug our trench, but then we started to push them back. And I would say that the last, I texted you with 10 minutes to go, saying we've been the better side the last 20 minutes, we've made the better chances, we deserve something out of this. Uh, and I thought football being the way it's been for us this season, we weren't going to get something, but we eventually did. Scott, what do you think of my summation? Excellent. My Ash. God, have you been on? <laughs> you are happy. Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I what I would say is I knew that this was a two bottles of brandy week for you. The second Clint Hill's goal went in. Yeah, I mean I've been drunk ever since. Um, on life, on life, folks. Right. What I would say that was football is about fine lines, David. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's about margins. What was interesting? I was talking to a friend of ours on Sunday night. As you know, we were out and... Yeah, I was there. Yeah, but you know, before that... You're talking to uh, me as well. Yeah, well, you, yeah, you were there, but I'm, I'm trying to make the list. <laughs> Look, the listeners get already know that we're a couple of metrosexual lads who basically gad about the city, ear-kissing folk. I don't want to make them feel really bad about their lives. While, okay? that, while that is true, I would like to say that um, if you ever want to... If you're a fan of the series The Walking Dead or Blade Runner the movie and you want to know what a post-apocalyptic world would look like, wait for the last train on a Sunday night of an old firm game in Central Station. Yeah, mm. not a pretty sight. Not if you're sober, no. So, 
Football is about margins, and what was interesting to me about the way it was going for Mark Warburton, and, and who knows what may have happened there or what didn't happen, we were joking earlier about the script, but if you look back to the semi-final of the League Cup, especially back in October, what we did, what Graham Murty did on Sunday wasn't that different. The shape wasn't that different. No. There was nothing innovative. And if you look back to umpteen games in the league, even, it, it, it was the same thing. We missed a sitter. An individual mistake, in this case Jason Holt, led to the goal. Act three, we come out after half time really slow. And I've always wondered, see since Warburton, see since about last January, it's like somebody's putting Mogadon in our half time Bovril. Mm. We start so slowly in the second half, so I thought that's following. Act four is that. They run over the top of us and score three and, or four in the yeah, last 20. And, yeah. uh, and it will lose. Except where, the, where it differed and where I have to give Graham Murty a bit of praise, and I'd like to bring this up because he's, he's done a great job as caretaker, I think, in general. What he might. Where the script differed this time was that when the players were able to pick themselves up and go again, they didn't accept inevitability. They didn't say, we've seen this film before repeatedly. And they did finish a stronger team. I know people would say, oh, that's football, or that's luck, or it's just because Celtic didn't score a second. But I don't think so. We've watched this team dropping points through that, through missing sitters, individual mistakes, and been unable to mount any sort of comeback. And uh, see the fact that they could, that they felt confident enough, relaxed enough, and they prepared and trained. And they said the players said afterwards that they felt good going into the last 20 minutes. I don't think you can take that away from the change that Graham Murty has made already. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying he took us away from what we were doing. He didn't. He didn't. He had no players to use. There was no new players. It's the same squad. But I think they found something in them that just weren't finding. And who knows? In the semi final of the League Cup or the game at thirty first of December, what if Warburton had got them up for the last twenty minutes and we'd nicked either of those games? It's all about ifs and buts and, and margins. But we were able to stop the film. Press pause for the first time, really, for quite a while. In a big game, we were able to actually reverse the script and say no. Yeah, yeah, and I, 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 I totally agree. And I think that you know we 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 have to come on to Graham Marty because I was critical of not not so much the appointment, but the length of time that he was in charge. And I think after the let's be honest, fairly fortunate win over Morton uh, home in the cup, and then the two away defeats, I was like, you know, this isn't doing anybody any favors, but. The again balls and confidence that he obviously has in himself to be able to communicate a message. I compare it with McDowell, who you remember when he was put in charge, genuinely looked as though he'd rather be sent off for a, a, a stretch in Barrel than continue to do it. And everything about the guy's body language was I hate this, somebody get me out of here, I need to do this, I've picked the eleven just let's get this shite done with. And Marty didn't do that. And he's then turned, you have to say, our best sequence of results in the season because I don't think it's arguable for a team that couldn't score three goals except on one occasion to win 3-2 with the last minute, come back with 10 men, 6-0 and then draw away at Parkhead is clearly our best sequence of results this season. And he deserves all the credit. And again, just little things like being reactive, like Mackay wasn't playing well. Yep. And there is a bit of you going, he's the type that can always dig something out. And he went, no, we don't need that right now. We don't need the possibility. We need the effort. And, and he didn't have a lot of options on the bench because Terrell and, and Halliday were injured. So it wasn't like, you know, so Windass was pretty much it. And it, it was the right the right change. And yeah, and I, I, I just think we, we grew in confidence. We had chances. And I think that overall you'd have to say that I'm not for a second suggesting that uh, we deserve to win. I don't think that's fair. I think we deserved to draw. But it was a big result. And I'd like to just kind of... I'd like to just put one to bed, if I can, Scott. Yes. That I, sounds all Not in a sexual sense, I'm hoping. No, no, good good Lord, no. Um, okay. I've heard a lot of Celtic fans... I've seen a lot of Celtic fans social media. In fact, they've contacted us. I still don't get my head around when they contact us. You know, all these years because they're obsessed with us. Maybe? Yeah, no, but you just like you get blocked. I have no fucking interest. But anyway, oh look at you guys celebrating a draw. 
Yes, we are, because it's about context, and you're absolutely correct. You are 30 points ahead, you're strolling the league, and it's a draw. But you were going to beat us 8 now. That's mm. what was in the paper. You were going to hammer us. And before you say, oh, no, we are... Yes, you did. Yes, it was Frank McAfani that said 8-0, but you were full of it beforehand, what you were going to do to us, and you didn't. And if you want to go back further, I remember when they were coming to Ibrox, the time that Murray banned them, remember? Mm-hmm. And we were going to annihilate them, and they got a draw. And they celebrated like fuck. And they were right to, because it's about context. We're not a great side. It's a big result for us. And we're allowed to celebrate it. And incidentally, in a way, draw in an old firm match is never a bad result. So, no matter the context. But for us, it was a special one. And it was the manner that that draw was was gutted out. Because it can lead to better things for us. What it means is, a new manager is coming in to a bunch of players in a dressing room who are upbeat, confident feel that they're you know looking forward to getting on with the rest of the season and the new challenges so it's a big thing it's it's much better than I'm walking into a bunch of depressed frightened players had just been had just been dragged through the coals and absolutely hammered so yeah, yeah it was a big result for us and yes we're going to celebrate it and I think we've got every right to and does it mean Celtic are ahead of us at the moment that we're celebrating it yes because Celtic are ahead of us at the moment we're not fucking stupid we are quite capable of looking at the league t- uh, the league championship table and seeing that you guys are a better side than us at the moment, but it's about the future. And Also, can I us. ask you, how many Celtic fans there on Sunday believed for a second that in the last 20 minutes they'd be hoping the final whistle would blow? Yeah, exactly. It's all about psychology. Of course they didn't expect it. Of course we did better than expected. We got the away draw that nobody thought we would get. Also for us, it's things like we abandoned the 4-3-3 by taking off Mackay because it wasn't working. We're flexible. And you cannot tell me that a lot of our problems this season have been players being shoehorned into a system that they weren't comfortable with. It leads to not wanting the ball, not wanting to express yourself. It leads to nervousness. And what Marty's also done, as you can see this, the players are more confident. They are more upbeat. They want a touch, even if it doesn't always come off for them. And they're able to be more flexible. A four in the middle, a four-five-one, someone drops off. He's given them a bit more flexibility, and I think you can see they're happier not being stuck in this system. Ta- tactical straight jacket. And uh, you're right, now Pedro can come in and say, OK, you're not as bad as you thought. And uh, it's a very important draw for us. And also, of course, Celtic are going for the treble, and they're going to score, score a million points and get 800 goals. And th- Now they're thinking, hmm. I was talking to a Celtic fan at work today who said that he wouldn't be surprised at all if we won one of the two games to come up against them. Well, certainly the belief is there that maybe, but not maybe, that wasn't there beforehand. Precisely. See, before Sunday, you'd get no odds on us winning yeah. either of the two games to come. Now, even they're saying it's not impossible. Yeah, it's it's the difference between going into a game with a bit of blind faith and now being able to point to something and say, well, actually. And it's, uh, I think it's about the trend. The trend, if you look at the results, you know, 5-1, 1-0, 2-1, 1-1. Ha- it gives us hope and I, you know, we said this in the whole Warburton thing it's when hope's extinguished that's when a football club is at its lowest ebb when hope is extinguished and now we're in a situation where we can have a little bit of hope before we move on to the new manager Scott um, a couple of things I want to talk about now I mentioned this beforehand about the substitution that, like I said really we don't talk about Celtic's business because it is their business but in this in this matter, I think it affects us, so uh, I beg the indulgence of our listeners here, but Rogers took off Armstrong, who was the best player, uh, and the best player on the park, incidentally, right, in terms of, of making things happen. And I get the I get the logic of it because he couldn't take off Dembele because the fans would have gone nuts. He couldn't take off Brown because the media would have gone nuts and it would have been a thing and Brown would have gone nuts. Uh, so he, he thought, right, I want to get another striker on, kill the game. I will... I have to take off a midfielder. I brought McGregor on at half-time. Can't take him off. Can't take Brown off. It'll need to be Armstrong. And he did it. And it was a mistake, right? I, like, how many times over the years? Advocate was bad for it. You know, chasing a game, take off a midfielder or a defender, put on a striker... 
uh, and then we couldn't get the ball. We had four strikers, but couldn't get the ball to them. Yeah, uh, it, it can happen. Sometimes you get lucky and you get a goal, but it didn't happen for them. After the game, again, according to Celtic fans on, on social media, their feeling is, is that maybe Armstrong's injury, I'm doing air quotes, certainly Armstrong didn't look happy after the match and certainly didn't appear injured. Uh, but their feeling was that maybe his injury was, was a convenient excuse to cover up this error of judgment. Now, if he was injured, my apologies. Although I would have been tempted to just see if he could run it off, given that he was, as stated, running the match. Certainly I'd have been tempted to treat him anyway, rather than just hauling him off. But if he is unable to admit a mistake after a draw, when his side's unbeaten, and 30-odd points clear at the top of the table. What does that say about his ability to cope with pressure if we ever manage to get close to them? Well, I suppose there are two sides to every story, David, OK? All I'm saying is, mate, would it have killed him? A Celtic fan's going to say, you're rubbish, we hate you, you're an idiot. If he'd said, do you know what, at 1-0, I wanted to kill the game by getting a second, I've taken off a midfielder to put on a striker, it hasn't worked, my bad, we move on. I, to be I, don't, honest, I don't think there's one Celtic fan would have thought one iota less of him. No, I, I, I think to a large extent the shiny-faced tranny pumper was influenced by their fans and by the media and by the build-up to the game. I think you're totally correct. I think with 25 minutes to go and them not being 8-0 ahead, there was pressure from the stands. It was noticeable even watching the game that their fans were pretty quiet. And I think there was a kind of, what? We're not sit- what? We're not 8-0 up, but... We were promised. We were promised. And I think he felt he had to throw a striker on. You're right, I think he was pressured by events and he covered it up. I've got no doubt at all that he found it very hard to say, sorry folks, I fucked up. And See, I, like I say, I don't get that. I, I, no, don't, I don't get you it. Make because... a, no, you make a mistake, you, you come out and, I mean... Especially in his circumstances, if you make a mistake, if you're warbling towards the end and you make a mistake, you're going to get slaughtered for it. I get that. They didn't even lose. You know, he's he's not going to get slaughtered for it. Celtic fans are going to go, you did make a mistake. I'm sure be disappointed on the day. But it's not going to affect how you feel about the guy. And I just think, I remember back to, we have mutual friend as a Liverpool fan. We've got no hubcaps, but a mutual friend as a Liverpool yeah. fan. And he said one of the, the things that, that severely soured the relationship between Rodgers and the fans at Liverpool was his hubris. That immediately after the good season he turned into uh, almost a caricature. He would be, you know, as, as it was put to us, he's walking about the touchline like he's Bill fucking Shankly and he hasn't won anything yet. Hubris is an important thing for us because it's, for a team that's that far ahead, and they are far ahead at the moment, yes, we need to improve, but they need to come back the way a little bit, for, you know, obviously for us to catch them quicker. And it going to their head, I think, is, is a good sign for us. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I'm not because I'm infallible. And in this instance, I do wonder if it's a case of... Because it must be difficult when you're scushing the league. Rodgers is a class above. Rodgers is a Premier League manager. Might be an arse for a human, but a Premier League manager in Scotland. He's totally scushing it. And he's got the press. I I, I mean, the press are lodged up that guy's arse. Do you know what I mean? They're yes. so far out that when he opens his mouth and at home to talk to his wife, they can see the oil painting he has of himself in his house. Although many people would slag him for that and say that that's a height of arrogance, whereas there is a bit of me that goes, I wonder if I can get the number of the painter. To be honest, I've known you for years and I'm utterly shocked that you don't have a portrait of yourself with your dogs in a kind of hunting style. I see it as a bit of an plus oversight on that, part. You know, yeah. It's, it's it's definitely something to can to consider. I've got time to sit for it now, you know, in my sort of uh uh my my newly found periods uh, of leasure. So uh, uh hmm, some something to think about. But yeah, I just thought it was interesting because I, I, yeah. I, I don't maybe he was genuinely injured. He didn't appear to be Celtic fans certainly have their suspicions about it. I don't know. Look, I think Rogers is prickly. I think Rogers the other thing about Rogers is he's never quite accepted what happened at Liverpool. And I think his eye on the Premiership is not just, I'm humbly going to work my way back up. I think a lot of him is, 
mugs how can I be out of the game how can you mugs not have me at a top club and I think there's a lot of arrogance at work there I definitely think he's he's certainly got a hard on for himself which and not, I, I, not just for himself I, I don't think it's a terrible thing incidentally especially this season he can back it up so uh, I don't think it's a terrible thing but I think if, if it stops you from from just saying I made an error and it was an error and it really helped us and Murty to his eternal credit took advantage of it with his substitution and it, it changed the game um, we have to talk about the penalty because uh, the Celtic fans listening in will be gutted if we don't my initial feeling was it wasn't a penalty just in real time I thought no he got the ball because the, the ball changed direction um, having seen the replays I wasn't convinced either way but I noticed that former grade 1 referee in Scotland Charlie Richmond said the referee got it right and then I'm sure that Charlie Richmond of course is is you know a bigoted Hun Mason Mason so obviously we have to write that off but then Dermot Gallagher uh, on Sky who was you know former head of the English refs he was asked about it and said no the referee got it right uh, it wasn't a penalty so I you, look there is nobody who understands the frustrations that the Celtic fans feel about the machinations of the the great global worldwide conspiracy to hold them down more than I. But I think in this instance, I'm gonna have to you know go with the professional referees on this one. I think I think there's two sides to the story. All all I lads, David, is number one. If a week, it's worth of playbacks. On Sky and BT and everyone having their and they still can't decide whether it's a penalty or not. The referee was quite right not to give it. He had one view of it in real time, and clearly it was impossible to tell. So it isn't a penalty. The referee was right. Secondly, I really wish the referee was wrong though, because imagine just how funny that would be. It's pretty and funny as is. It's funny as it is now, but if it was a stonewaller, it'd be twice as funny. I mean, it's. And I'm really glad they didn't get it. And in a way, I'm glad that the worldwide global Masonic conspiracy grows and grows. Uh, because rather than annoying us, it really, really makes us laugh an awful lot, boys. And you have to realise that. We just take the piss at you for this. It's hilarious. It's because it's a pretty shit conspiracy when you're 30 points clear. We are on the way back up from the third division. <laughs> I think that's that's the thing. It's like... People out with this, um, out with this country, just look at it, and, and Celtic fans can never get their head around this when they explain all this to people. But they go, "But your Rangers got relegated, and you're," and they're like, "Aye, aye," and but wouldn't this conspiracy have stopped that? No, you don't understand. And it's it reminds me of Terminator, you know, the the original nineteen eighty four Arnold Schwarzenegger classic, when they're writing off Linda Connor's delusions, um. What the psychologist said is most delusions, you know, fall apart, but she believes her so inherently. Uh, it's very clever. And I'm like, yeah, that, that sounds like a Celtic fan. Yeah, I think it's just a worldview that's conditioned cradle to grave. But um, it was not a penalty because if nobody can decide, if the whole world, including top referees, can't really tell. No, top referees all said it wasn't a penalty. Well, it wasn't. That's what I mean. There's no way the ref could, in a split second, seeing it once, have given it as a penalty. <laughs> no. it's, it's ludicrous. Um, we deserved the point. We finished on top out of the two teams and uh, it, it breathes life into a tired squad. It's Murty's short spell in charge has given us a glimpse into what maybe could be. Maybe there's something to play for. Maybe it's not all doom and gloom. And I think that's all you can ask for from him. That's all, all we asked for. Now, a lot of a lot of football in this pod, Scott, so I want to introduce a little bit of humour and I'm going to say something that that's quite, I think, is quite funny, right? Listeners, you, you you might disagree, but I I just I, I want to introduce a little bit of humour to the pod, because um, that that that's kind of what we're about, isn't it? We've we've always tried to supply a little bit of laughs to to the listeners. Well, if you look at our timeline uh, of when we've been doing these pods, yeah, exactly. We've, we've, needed, we've had we've to, you know, we've had yeah. to kind of look on the bright side. So here's one, Scott. Yes. Right, you ready? Yes. Do you think the compliance officer? Will cite Scott Brown for his elbow on Jason Holt. That kill me. Hello. That is so good, mate. Brilliant. I was still thinking about it, and I thought that people, it's reductio, absurd reductio. It's it's you know when you take something to just the most ludicrous 
example of of that. But I just I just thought I'd mention it, you know. Oh, brilliant! Honestly, mate, it's a card. I know, I know. It's, it's, oh, uh, every time every time I think about it, I was just kind of like giggling. Uh, you know, it, to be fair, the compliance officer he probably couldn't see it from his you know seat in the stand where he has his season ticket at Parkhead, so. It it was maybe it was maybe a difficult one for him to to have noticed. I think we should leave it there so he doesn't sue us. Mm, yeah. Okay. Good point. See, things have changed, haven't they? Mind the old days. You, you can see what you like, mate. You can basically political like, correctness yeah, has gone wrong. It's political correctness gone mad because back in the old days when we first started this point, you could basically say, well, I mean. It is well known round the town that he fucks Alsatians. Um, now they sue you for that. Them is it came over from the America yeah. with the political correctness, and now it's gone mad. It is, it yeah, right. Mad. Uh, Pedro Cascina. Pedro Cascino. Now, uh, can I, folks? I want to interject at this stage, okay? Can I lodge an official complaint against our new manager, Pedro Cascina? Is it for the reason I think it is? Because I yes, don't... Yes. No, no, you can't. <laughs> no, my wife, my dear wife, who I love very much, caught a picture of him in the paper, okay? Uh, okay, ooh, okay. Ooh, right. ooh, he, ooh, he's a bit handsome. Okay, ooh, thank, who's that? Scott, thank yeah. God. That's the reason. Right. No, the fact is a beep, 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 beep. <laughs> there's, nothing to, there's nothing to do with it. Though. You don't hate him for that yet. Uh, yeah, no. yeah, he, he gets the benefit of the doubt for fifteen seconds, but uh, yeah, he is a very handsome man. It, it cannot be denied. Very swarthy uh, and uh, a good-looking fellow, well dressed, which I like. For the Celtic fans listening in, right? You you've got a shiny-faced, white-toothed tranny pumper, right? Mm. Our manager is a bullfighter. Mm. Uh, think what, on it for a second. I always think Brendan Rodgers looks like someone has blown up a balloon, covered it in glue. Rolled it over a barber's floor and then glued on false teeth from uh, Joe Wayne's joke shop to it, and, and then polished the balloons cheeky there. Yeah, th- those repeatedly. T- those teeth do look like they could eat an apple through a letterbox. He's he's a strange looking man. Strange looking like... man, and he also had this fucking jacket on Saturday, right? Did you see it? It was like an no. outdoor jacket, but it had suit lapels on it. Oh, f- I know. Like fuck that shit. Pedro would never do that. Pedro, Pe- would, Pedro would wear a suit. Pedro would, would wear a suit, mate. But his suit with Velcro at the front, so if he sees a nice lady, he can just rip the whole suit off and be naked under it. And uh, well, yeah, possibly his bullfighter uniform. He, he's probably got a cape. See if he's. You know, genuinely, I'm not making a joke here. I'm genuinely not making a joke. I've seen this. It's online. It's on the Twitter. Go and yeah. look at it. Celtic fans have been complaining. To Peter, you know, P-E-T-A, the yes. ethical animals, that we've hired a bullfighter. I'm not fucking kidding. Yeah. And well, neither are they. Do you know what? I hope, hope we get to the semi-final at Hamden, right? And hope he's got a fucking cape on. <laughs> well, then, a I'm, red cape. Yeah, but if it was me, I'd, I'd, I'd have had officials wearing capes anyway and having little twirly moustaches and, you know, the, yeah. and looking like... Like villains from the nineteenth century, and be introduced as messers. Yes, exactly. Yes. That that that's what we need. But uh, Pedro Cascina's come in, spoke very well, and at the moment we've nothing else to go. Now, I, as I've said, I am uh, sitting very much in the quietly excited. I don't know if excited is the right word, but quietly looking forward to his reign because I don't know a lot about him, and I'm a, I'm a football wank. But I well, you have right. <laughs> uh, but I don't watch or follow South American, Central American football. So I don't know Mexico. Certainly not as up with the Qatar League as I should be. Uh, I will accept that. That's a flaw in my part. So I, I I don't know much about them. So although the stuff I've read is you know obviously promising, it would be. It's hardly likely that the PR getting put out about the guy as he's a dud. So it's. It's, you know, not much to go on at the moment and really we just have to sit back. What I did like about him was Vladimir Weiss, who played under him at Qatar, described him very much a pragmatist and that appeals after what we've gone through. Yeah, I mean, piecing it all together from Mexico and Qatar, it seems that he likes to play attacking football, especially with the penchants for pace. He seems to like pacey strikers. But as you say, he will put everyone behind the ball if he has to. And I think when he was at Santos Laguna, he did once say that 
winning the game was really that was his tactics. Yeah, which is good. I mean, I, I think and that's that, it. That's yeah. I think that we suffered for a, a sure fit of idealism under the under the previous management team. What I think is is interesting, and again, this is me extrapolating from you know from a very very broad uh, from from a very very broad set of of information. He seems to be one of these Portuguese coaches who is influenced by Mourinho, and no wonder, you know, Portugal have produced one of the you know, like him or loathe him, one of the all time great coaches, and certainly one of the most influential in the last twenty years. And like a lot of Portuguese coaches of his generation, he is quite clearly influenced by Mourinho. And I like that pragmatism that, you know, yes, we want to play attacking football and good football, but it will come secondary to getting the result. And I will chop and change the side in order to find the combination that will win that match. And I think that that's something that, that will be a real positive. Yeah, uh, I think I, I think what we're looking for though and I think I was thinking of this actually just before the pod because we don't really do any research for the pod or any preparation and I don't think the listeners would be surprised I don't that. think it comes as a shock to them no. no but I was thinking about the biggest change that we need and yes we do need more flexibility different sorts of tactics but we do need a sort of more physically robust approach we need if Pedro can instil in these players standing up, like we did in the tw- last 20 minutes on Sunday, we need to win a lot more one-to-one battles. We need to win more 50-50 tackles, second ball. The Warburton thing was all, it was nice passing, but too often we were a bit cowed. See, in Scotland, you're never going to succeed. You're never going to pick up any silverware if you can't hit a team hard and then play your football. And the example I was thinking of was Arthur Newman. Arthur Newman was a lovely man. Played for Holland, played in a World Cup semi-final, all these caps. And he wasn't a hard man. He never fouled anyone. But not one single Scottish wide boy ever put him off his game. Yeah, no, you couldn't bully him. You're right, he wasn't never. He, he wasn't exactly um, a hatchet man. But he was physically imposing, confident in his strength and was able to play his game. But if you wanted to, as you say, make it a rock with him, he'd go, OK. And, you know, without resorting to punching and kicking, he was quite capable of looking after himself. That's what we need. See if Pedro can instill in us, when we go to these grounds where we've been dropping points, if we can win, stand up to it, and actually nullify that threat, I think our squad, I don't think it's the best squad in Scotland, as Pedro hinted. I think he may be mistaken, but I think it's better than it's letting on, but we have to win these battles. We cannot let shite hawks like Hearts, for example, Run all over the top of us No And we stand up to them Win the one-on-ones And the rest will follow We do have some decent players We do have some people That can pass the ball We've got people Who can score They need To win their own Personal duels And the confidence That will come from that When they do I think that could Turn things around That is the starting point For Pedro We cannot be cowed In games anymore And I think Murty As a bridge Strangely That five games Has started to show What can happen When you've a bit of pride About yourself You keep going to the 90th minute and you dig in and come again. And I think the players have maybe learned something about themselves as well recently. Do you want to make an apology, by the way, to Graham Marty for disliking him purely on the basis his dad's a Celtic fan? Not really. No, I didn't think so. No. But uh, I thought I'd give you the opportunity. Well, uh, no, I forgive him. Do, do, uh, there you go. That that was probably as much as he could have hoped for going in. Yeah, I mean, what is not his fault? No, exactly. I mean, he shouldn't, his dad's spe- fault. shouldn't be speaking to his dad. He should be estranged from his father. Yeah, I mean, I've got my suspicions about why he still goes round for a Sunday roast. But, you know, it's family affair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, no, I'm not going to crack a, a, an obvious no, take joke no. there and get, get myself in trouble. I'm so, we're, we're so close uh, to getting there. Now, uh, he's bringing some, some members of his own background staff contrary to previous reports which I think is sensible but wants as he does at every club he goes to he wants a local uh, a little bit of knowledge in his background and one of the names I floated actually and it's been floated by a lot of people was Neil McCann now for me it's based on the fact that he's done some coaching knows what he's doing but he's very intelligent very articulate very modern thinker uh I think he would be good in the role, and I think he uh, he does have knowledge due to his role as, a, if you like, a, a summariser for Sky, and I think he would be be an interesting choice. 
it was then put to me. Someone said, well, what about Barry Ferguson? And I said, dear God, no. And the person I thought came back with a pretty good point. He said, well, what's the difference between McCann and Ferguson? I have to be honest and say it's because I like McCann more than I like Ferguson. And that's probably my only argument, if I'm being honest. No, I think, I, well, yes. But I'll give you another argument. I'll, I'll, I'll give you grist to your mill, David, OK? If I can. Go on. It was interesting to talk. I've heard rumours, and you may have heard them as well, that David Weir wasn't always the, the most articulate at getting his ideas across. Mm. And that he wasn't the best. And it was the same at Brentford. Um, players found David Weir's role hard to decipher. And I think that Barry Ferguson, Barry Ferguson's passionate, but I'm not always sure at how good he is at getting his ideas across, because I've heard him summarising occasionally. I think Neil McCann would, he strikes me when you listen to his uh, sort of co-commentary or summarising, I think he can get a, a sometimes complicated idea across quite succinctly. I think he could be a communicator and I think he sees football and I think he understands football. Now David and I watch a lot of Italian football on uh, BT and they've got some really good summarisers, don't they? Yeah, really good guys. Don Hutchison, yeah. Tony Derigo, yeah. And that's what they do, they Hutchison's, Hutchison's exceptional and Robson's brilliant at explaining to you why teams are doing what they're doing, why it's going wrong, why it's going right, what the opposition need to do to change it. It is totally yeah. different from the shit we get. Well, Neville and, and Carragher... Neville and Carragher are trying to do that. They're, 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 trying, they're to trying to do it, but the likes of, you know, for instance, last night we watched Chelsea versus Man United and it was Martin Sh- Keown talking shit. Yeah. At one point, Martin Keown said... Uh, you know, Conte's developing into a really good manager. I don't oh, know. Fuck you, man. I know. It's like, yeah, he done well at that Juventus team. Mm. But I mean, what the fuck's that? And then he managed Italy, only the four World Cups, no pressure there. I know. But yes, go on, sorry. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying that I think Neil McCann has that gift where I've heard him describe what's going on in describe games and tactical things, but quite simply, and I think Pedro's going to need that. That's all I right, think. Yeah. The message, it doesn't matter what the message is. If the players aren't taking it in, you've lost. We, you and I have read so many football books, haven't we? And it's all about the players going in in the morning and trusting their manager, believing what he says and buying into the whole package. Well, we, t- we spoke about Mourinho earlier. That's his genius. Yep. Everyone believes that he will make them better than they yeah, are now. And, and he promises if you do what I tell you, I'll add 10, 15% of your game. And, you know, he has yep. done. And I think that... I think Neil can do that. So basically, sum up. I think yeah. I think McCann will be able to get the ideas across simply but well. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think that that's that's absolutely key. And I think that was one of Warburton's failings is that I thought his ideas about the game were great, and a lot. I I loved listening to Mark Warburton. I think that uh, till the end, where he was just as any manager under pressure, as just results to talking shape. But I think that he struggled to take the ideas and put them into practice. And that that, yes. that to me is football management because anyone can have great ideas. I think I occasionally come up with good ones. I wouldn't have a fucking clue how to translate that to a football team, you know, uh, other than maybe drawing a picture. Uh, it would be like, you know, a pissed up game of Pictionary. Yep. I think that, that that can help. And I think initially the first couple of months, little things like saying... You know, Kashina's a guy who meticulously studies the other side. Little things like a Scottish guy, something that we know, when he goes and watches Dundee the week before, and he says, right, you know, they played like a blah, blah. It needs a Scottish guy to go, you know that they'll play at a level 20% above that against us. Yes. J- just so you know. You Warburton should... never came to terms yeah. ever with teams stopping him. It's like the Wenger thing. You said this in the pod a while ago. Warburton was disgusted by teams actually physically... Kicking us up in the air and stopping us doing four three three. Mm. He couldn't believe the effrontery of them. And I think Pedro has to get that knowledge very quickly that everyone hates us, mm. everyone raises the games, and no one will let us play pretty football. Yeah. The 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 St Johnston, and this is not a dig at them, by the way, I totally understand why wouldn't you raise your game for a match against Rangers that's played in front of a full house? I mean, how how is it possible not to be more motivated for a match at say at McDermott Park that is Full and the atmosphere's crackling, or a match against Motherwell at McDermott Park where there's 3,000 people there. You know, you can hear the players shouting. Of course, they are going to be more up for it. The, the cameras are there. 
it's a, a far bigger game. And I think that anybody coming to Scotland has to accept that they are going to give that extra 10-20%. They are going to raise their game. The St Johnson that you watched or had watched the week before are not the one you will be playing and it's important and just at the start you know I managed to point out these things and to to say well you know this is why they're doing that I I just think it would help the transition for want of a better word he's also very very good with the media because he's part of it yeah and I think Neil McCann would be the kind of person who people would warm to I think the fans like him and it wouldn't be controversial I think some of the names that have been suggested there's some you know there's pros and cons Neil McCann's one of the names where most people would say that make well, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think so. If he's interested, if, you know, he, he does have a good gig. That that's something to be. I can't see him turning down the Rangers assistant manager's job personally. No, um, I don't think so. I also think that he probably could see because he wasn't slow in pointing out a lot of the things that we've talked about in the pod. It's funny Neil McCann probably came closest to the heart and the hand. You know, he he was obviously wanting Rangers to do well, but. He, he was pointing out a lot of what was going wrong in the 4-3-3, especially away from home. And um, I think he would probably like a chance to put it right. Because he strikes me as the kind of guy that if someone said to him, you know, even for a year, just take the Rangers job, help Pedro get settled in, but point out where the wheels came off last time. I think he's the kind of guy who would like that analytical approach, you know, to actually put into practice what he told people was going wrong and what he could see and maybe get a chance to actually impart that to the squad. Mm. Well, I certainly hope so. There's, there's Jig, but I don't think he would give up the gig at Kilmarnock, and he's too soon. I, I agree with that. I, I think that uh, he's doing well. But he's he doing well. How well he's, you know that. Yeah. yeah, let's. But I mean, I think Kilmarnock might end up giving him. The yeah, job. the love of him apparently is really going well. He's doing well, really well. You know, it's just yes. not, unless in, you know we criticise Lee McCulloch on here when he played badly. I was never a Lee McCulloch hater, as you know. Uh, yep. I have a signed picture of Lee McCulloch in my house because uh, I still remember him in very dark days doing very well for us um, but yeah I, I I don't see him giving up nor should he give up if he's in with a realistic chance or becoming I, a manager yeah, in his own right yeah a, 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 a decent sized club like Kilmarnock I, I wouldn't want somebody who would give up a, a premier manager's job to be a number two at Rangers that, that's nothing with Neil McCann can I add I don't think he sees himself as a manager or is interested I think he would be doing the stint that we're looking for, which is introducing Pedro Coutinho to Scottish football. Whereas, Pedro as you see, people Pedro like Coutinho. Jig, yeah, you don't want somebody who's got their eye on leaving the job the minute they're in it. No, but Pedro Coutinho. Ca- Coutinho. It's not Coutinho. What the fuck is that? It's Coutinho, it no, is. It's Coutinho. It's not. It's Coutinho. It's not. It fucking is. The Portuguese see Nye at the end. The Port- what the fuck do you know about Portugal? You're scared to get on a fucking plane? The furthest you've ever been is France because you can drive there. I, I know, and I know because I was with you in the fucking car. Imagine that, folks. 14 hours in a car with him. Mispronouncing names. I, I was hard for you, fuck's sake. Yeah, well, you're, you're a hyperactive Tasmanian drunk devil then. <laughs> the, the problem is, folks, when Scott would insist, when we would go on holiday together, and yeah, people find this very funny, Scott, that we used to go on holiday, still still will in the future when your kids are yes. older. Uh, people find this very funny, but uh, Scott would insist on driving because he's a big blouse and scared of aeroplanes, and he would, you know, insist that we drive. I can't drive. So I would get in the car and have a carry-out and yes. open it and basically shout at him. The, yes. You know, all the way to Dover. Yes. Uh, well, are we there yet? Are we there? Get uh, drunk. Have a wee nap. Get drunker on the boat, uh, yeah. and then then it would start again in France. But no, I'm sorry, I'm not buying pronunciation from you, uh, Mister Aprico. Can I can I just say two great things about that holiday? One was the day I made David go and look at a Neolithic site. Fucking ninth century church. Jesus. No. Yeah, that was one of the Neolithic standing stones. That was my favourite. Your Sta- face. Standing stone. Right, he drives me up. I'm not kidding, right? Get a knock on my bedroom door. Come on, we're going out on this thing. Oh, uh, where are the girls? Oh, the girls aren't coming. It's just me and you. I'm not doing it. Oh, come on, guilt trip fully laid on me, right? So I'm like, oh, for fuck, he's like, oh, come on, blah blah, I'll do it for you. I'm like, oh, right, okay. And actually, I'm like a child. He went, when we get back, we can go to the pub. 
Right. And that, yeah, yes. that that was like, you know, a kinder surprise to me at that time. So alright. So we it was dri- worse than he ever thought it was. So we drive to this field that's full of fucking stones. And he gets out and he starts taking photographs and I'm going, the fuck? And I'm like, What why have you stopped? And he went, No, this is it. I'm like, dude, it's a field full of fucking stones. He's like, Oh, they're ninth century stones. They're fucking stones. They're old stones. And he's like, yeah, I said, we drove two hours to see a field full of fucking old stones. He wasn't happy. I was not best pleased. But um, it culminated in perhaps my favourite moment, which, this won't sound good, folks, you won't get it, okay? It doesn't sound the same, but Dave and I were pushed one night, okay? And uh, our wives at the time, they were not happy as it was. But Dave and I were talking at the end of the table, having dinner, we were talking, quite pissed. And we're talking about favourite bongo films and bongo books, do you remember? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, was, and I was saying to David this one I'd seen, but it was an Australian model who was unclothed. And uh, they were saying to her, <laughs> it was like, it was brown, Susan is from Australia. We don't know what her favourite what her favourite marsupial is, but, <laughs> but ours is certainly a fuck-filled fatty puss. <laughs> That's not like, that's the greatest <laughs> line written in English. And two and a half hours, and we couldn't tell them why. Yeah, just, just giggling. Yeah. We were just rolling about for uh, the porn genius, and this is the whole porn itself. The guys that do the sub editing and the headlines for these magazines, it's just total bongo genius. Yeah, I know. It's, it's a lost art. I was wondering what happened when those guys, you know, because of the, the death of the, the bongo print industry. Can you imagine turning up at an interview? Yeah. And they're like, so, so, you know, uh, uh, it says here you worked for Paul Raymond Publishing. Because yes. you, you'd put that down rather than Mayfair. Yes, yes. What was it? Oh, I'd write little bits accompanying it. What sort of things would you write? Um, it's like, this girl's got me all in a flap, probably because of her pink ones. No, yeah. Well, that that's excellent. That's exactly what we need yes. at, at local parish news. Yes, um, you know that that that, that kind of thing. It's, it's excuse me. Are, are you the George Smith? Yeah. Did did you initially come up with two whites make a wong? <laughs> yeah, exactly for a, an Oriental for an Oriental lady yeah. involved in an, an a, a MMF, as I believe they, they categorise it. <laughs> I yes. with a PO, from a POV. Yes, exactly. So no, fantastic. Well, I think that that's uh, pretty much covered the old fun game. I'd like to. <laughs> yes, I'd, I'd like to suggest maybe at that point. I mean, we started with Clint licking and ended with BN being removed. I think entirely. A um, couple of things to, to point out. One, thank you very much for all your inquiries about the live pod. Unfortunately, not only is it totally sold out, but it is... Some waiting uh, list as well. And the guest list is full. So I'd, I'd love to get more people in. I honestly... Marshall, would. Marshall won't let us seriously get more people in. Um, yeah, because... Exactly, and people wouldn't be able to move and it would be uncomfortable. So, I mean, we're really, really sorry. If it goes well and Scott avoids burning the place down, we will look at doing another one. And and that case, we won't put the tickets out for sale before it's announced on the pod, and we'll, we'll give people notice that they're going on sale at a certain time. And I say my apologies, we just didn't think it would be that popular. David said to me, David texted me and said, We've got four weeks to try and sell some tickets. <laughs> he actually said, get your mates to go. Please, for God's sake, don't let this be an embarrassment. Yeah, don't, don't let this be like, you know, t- my dad and, and ten people. Two hours later, it was sold out. Yeah. So we, didn't mean it. we didn't mean to let any, anyone down. It's just, honestly, nobody expected no, this. nobody expected it. If you want to get in touch with us uh, and come complain about the lack of live tickets or find out more about what happens to retired Bongo magazine writers, you can get in touch with us on Facebook. We are on uh, Just Search for Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast on Facebook. Come chat to us there. Um, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, and we do always try and respond. We like to think we're a fan-friendly podcast, unless your point is stupid or you're a Celtic fan. Um, yeah. I had one the other day. Gets in touch, and he says to me, uh, "Ah, you still getting shite through your letterbox from Rangers fans?" So I replied, "Well, somebody dropped in a copy of the National the other day, mate, but uh, I'm not sure who he supported because I just I knew it instantly everything about this guy. You know, his political opinions, everything." Yeah. And the next thing, I look at my Twitter feed, and it's like notifications twenty, and it's this guy's just ranted. I've you know. Like, 20 th- and I'm like, does he actually think I'm going to read that? I just block. 
You know, did you not realise that you weren't interested in the slightest? See, that's, the a, that's the thing. I just don't get why they think I give the tiniest sliver of a miniature fuck about anything they think about anything. It's just, it doesn't occur to me. But um, but if you know you're not a nutter, uh, and I mean, there was a Celtic fan who was you know, perfectly nice bloke chatting the other day about the football with me. I was quite happy to do that. David also had a request, we'll keep this quiet, the name, but David had a request from Celtic fans saying he was sorry, genuinely, he couldn't attend the live pod. Yeah. But he, did, but he didn't think it was a good idea in the he circumstances. He didn't think it was a good idea. No, and genuinely, I mean, there's only a Celtic fan came on, and for all I joke about it, he was just chatting about the game, no problem at all. But the ones who want to come on, and you know you know the types, right? You know. Um, uh, user, user, uh, user. Uh, you know. Right, and the, you know the, the, their name and the profile pic and everything's all to do with Rangers, and you're like, Jesus Christ, mate! What? I mean, why do you think that I would like to talk to you? But if you're not an utter and you are a Rangers fan, uh, I would like to talk to you. And it's at Ibrox Rocks, and Scott is Scott Hart Hand, and we would, you know, quite happily chat away to you, and. Uh, I think that's it then so all that remains for me to do is to thank our executive producers in London Mr Mike Lee and Mr Paul Myers to thank my guest Mr Scott Vandenacker you know it's nice to be dissecting an old firm game without a rope around our neck yes uh, it certainly has been and uh, remember folks get in touch hashtag Clint Lickers uh, love you all my name's David Edgar I'll talk to you again this time next week cheers bye Podcast Network.